Thank you. And welcome back to all of you as well. Nice to see. I didn't totally scare you away with all that talk of sinew and bones and sweat and tears last week. <laughs> um, the title of the talk this evening is Landscape of Emotion. And I'd like to give the talk and then do a guided meditation. And then if there's time here, um, a few responses from people. Um, we will end at 9 o'clock. So if, um, if possible, please, I would request to stay, that you stay until the end. There's just no way to leave this building quietly. It's the creaky, creaky sound. So um, if you can manage to stay until 9, I would sure appreciate it. And if you need to move postures, I have no problem with you right in the middle just standing up and just doing standing meditation, listening while standing, or if you need to, um, to you know, move. I have no problem with that. So um, please do take care of yourself, but um, stay. So landscape of emotion. Now, sometimes people have a stereotype about a meditator as being kind of stoic or unemotional, as though if we meditate enough, we'll kind of smooth out or even all our emotions. The thing is that this is not the case. Emotions arise as much for somebody who practices meditation as for somebody who doesn't. So the question isn't, do emotions arise? The question is, what is the context that those emotions arise in? Are they arising in a mind that is calm and balanced and meets them with wisdom and clarity? Or are they arising within a mind that is easily reactive, that is pushed and pulled to act very quickly or react very quickly to the emotion? Sometimes in our meditative practice, we um, encounter very strong emotions. Sometimes they even seem stronger than what we feel in daily life. There's a Tibetan folk saying that says, dry shit on the wall doesn't stink. And (laughs) you have to think about it for a minute, but it implies that sometimes the process of cleaning makes it more smelly. And sometimes in our practice, the process of purification, of cleaning out our own hearts, has us go through kind of a stinky phase. Sometimes it seems in our culture that there are certain emotions that we tend to avoid. In fact, the desire to avoid certain emotions keeps the entertainment business thriving. Billions and billions of dollars are spent and made and earned every year to prevent the feelings of boredom, loneliness, fear, agitation, basically, in, in some, sometimes simply to distract us. Yet through mindfulness practice, we learn that it is usually easy, easier to actually feel the emotions than to sustain that complex structure within the mind that keeps the emotions at bay, that removes them, that separates us from them. We don't need to resist the emotions. We don't need to remove ourselves from them. Nor do we wallow in them or indulge in them. This is not a process, mindfulness of emotion is not a process that um, indulges in the feeling quality of the emotion. Like if we're sad, like really enhancing the sadness so that we're sobbing, and if we're happy, really enhancing it so that we're happy. It's not a matter of, um, of exaggerating the emotions or wallowing in them or sustaining them. It's more a process of meeting them with mindfulness, of bringing awareness to bear on the emotions themselves. We can trust that emotions are a valuable and important aspect of life. It's actually an extraordinary capacity that human beings have to feel emotion. It's quite wondrous sometimes in the midst of an emotional experience to actually wonder what it is, to be curious, 
What is sadness? What is fear? What is joy? What is elation? But emotions tend to sweep us into them. And so they're quite strong very often. And so we need to be quite skillful in how it is we bring the attention to meet the emotion so that we can stay balanced and look very carefully into these feelings. How is the emotion experienced? What is it? How is it known? How do we know it in the body? Where do we find it in the body? Is it in the body? Is it in the mind? Does it arise in relationship to thoughts? Or do thoughts arise in relationship to the feeling? Just what is that feeling like? Whatever the emotion that arises, pleasant or unpleasant, we can have an attitude of ease in experiencing that emotion. So that even difficult states we can experience with ease. And even incredibly joyful states we can experience with ease rather than greed. Emotions are not a danger in practice. They're not an enemy. We don't need to push them away, resist them, or avoid them. Like so many things, though, if they go unrecognized, then they can seem overwhelming simply because we haven't brought the awareness to them. So in this practice, we bring mindfulness to all aspects of our experience. Mindfulness of the body, which we spoke about last week, is the, what's called the first foundation of awareness or the first foundation of mindfulness. The second foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of feeling, which is Vedana. Um, That's mindfulness of the pleasantness, unpleasantness of experience. The third foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of mental states, which includes all the emotions from very subtle mental states like tranquility and equanimity, including happy states like joy and rapture, delight, contentment. And difficult states like sadness, fear, agitation, restlessness, anger, desire. So whatever the experience is that arises, we bring mindfulness to this and we accept it as that foundation of awareness in that moment. It becomes, Tanisaro Bhikkhu uses the frame term frame of reference rather than um, the more traditional or more common translation, which is um, um, uh, the foundations of mindfulness. Um, So he likes frames of reference. And I find, although that's kind of a mouthful, frames of reference, it does give us a sense that for that moment of practice, the frame of reference becomes the emotion when we're working with that third foundation. I'd like to suggest four approaches to working with emotion when that becomes our frame of reference or our foundation for the awareness. And it's easy to remember if you call it RAIN, R-A-I-N. Recognize, accept, investigate, and not identify. Recognize, accept, investigate, and not identify. And it actually doesn't matter what order it is, but that way it makes a word. <laughs> so the first, um, the first step is simply to recognize what has arisen. Okay, this is fear. Okay, this is anger. This is desire. This is restlessness. The second is to accept that it has arisen just simply to know that that's what's happening in the present moment. The acceptance isn't like, isn't the, oh, this is the best thing that could be happening and everybody should be experiencing this right now. Acceptance is just recognizing that this is what is in this moment. And then investigate it, look into it. See how it is that it functions. What is its relationship to thought? What are its causes and conditions? How does it arise? And then not identify with it. 
recognize that it's actually simply a mental state that has arisen. It isn't who we are. There's a difference between experiencing anger and I am angry. There's a difference in the experience. One can fully be present with the experience of anger without the identification, I am angry. Sometimes when we add the identification, we weave a lot of story into the experience so that we think that that mental state is saying something about who we are in the world. Agitation has arisen. There's restlessness. I am an agitated person or I am a restless person. That's a lot more solid, that concept, I am a restless person then recognizing that there's a lot of energy in the system right now and it's over, the energy is overpowering the system and so there's restlessness. So when we work with mindfulness of emotion, we let it be simple. So we let the story go, we let the identification go, and we just be with the arising of the emotion moment by moment. Sometimes we have to face the emotion directly, squarely, and have the courage to meet it, to actually open to it completely in order to know it, to truly accept it, to actually investigate it. Very often emotional states are sustained not by their own, the causes and conditions that gave rise to them, but sustained through obsessive thinking. Something may happen, and it may trigger a res- a re- a, a res- an emotional response. There might be sadness, or there might be anger, or agitation, or something. And then we start to think about other things that made us sad, angry, or agitated. And then pretty soon we're getting angry at somebody else who didn't do anything to us, or impatient with somebody else, or sad about something else. Because through the repetition of the thought forms, we perpetuated that emotional state and applied it to other situations. We weren't actually with the emotional state that arose. Sometimes it seems like we're being with the difficult state because we're thinking about it. And actually thought very often takes us away from the experience of the emotional state. The stories about why we're angry or why we're afraid very often separate us just a bit from the intensity and the intimacy and the vulnerability of the actual emotional state. So we keep reacting to the story, but the story circling around keeps us from really honestly feeling it. It's very helpful to feel the emotions in the body, to drop out of the level of story and feel it in the body. When there's fear, There might be a story circulating about what's causing the fear or why I'm afraid or how I'm a weak person or a fearful person. But where do we find the fear in the body? Do we feel a quivering in the stomach, a shaking? Do we feel the jelly in the knees? What do we actually feel in the body? When there's grief, or strong sadness? Where do we find that in the body? Do we feel the contraction in the chest? Do we feel the weakness in the body? Do we feel tension? What do we feel that we recognize as grief? Sometimes grief comes as a kind of wave, sometimes a tidal wave, but it very often comes as a wave that moves through us. Can we feel that wave of emotion in the body as an embodied experience rather than get entangled in the story about what we're sad about or what we're grieving.
our bodies process a lot of emotion and sometimes they seem to work a little bit more than, sometimes they work even when our mind doesn't. Um, I remember when I got shocking news over the telephone that I found my body just sunk to the floor. I couldn't process the information as quickly as my body processed it. And it just, you know, went right to the floor. And it was so amazing to actually be observing the body sinking as I was sinking, trying to make sense of the words. And it just, there's a sense that the the body does do a lot of processing. And so, in a way, that's really where we do the work with the mindfulness of emotion, is in the body. There are some emotions that we very easily feel in the body, like anger. If you don't feel it in yourself, you can see it in somebody else's. You can see them get tense. You can see the face get red. You can almost like see the pulse beating faster. It, it's, it changes the, the, the heat, the temperature, the sweat. It's a very, emotion is a very physical experience. In fact, um, strong emotional states, especially anger, can be quite exhausting to the body because it, it really draws energy from so many systems. You might find that if there was a lot of emotion that you really need to rest afterwards. And you might actually be tired from the body processing that emotion. But healing comes through being present with the emotion. And we can use the stillness of the sitting posture to stay steady with that flow of emotion. So that within the sitting meditation, we actually make the space for the full range of our emotional life. Our emotional life isn't just something that we do in relationships. We can actually feel the whole emotional life in the stillness and the composure of the sitting meditation. So don't think that sitting meditation should always be tranquil and calm. Sometimes we'll be sitting and it won't be tranquil and calm. The We don't use tranquility and calmness as sort of the benchmark of whether we're being mindful It's much more, can we meet the experience that's arising? Can we meet the tranquility, which is a subtle state with mindfulness? Can we meet the rage, which is a gross state with mindfulness? So that whatever arises, whether it's a subtle, pleasant mental state or a heavy, strong mental state, we meet it with mindfulness. If anger arises... We can sit right through anger. We can actually let it burn through us. I actually recommend this. It teaches a tremendous amount about anger, that acting on anger and speaking about anger and communicating our anger and um, doing all the various things that we do to release our anger. Gosh, I've learned so much by sitting through it, actually being that volcano and experiencing the anger itself without the story, without the action that needs to be taken, but actually just know the anger itself. And then with that space in the stillness of the posture, the anger passes through. It's not constant. It's not steady. It changes and it moves through. So whenever we're experiencing strong emotion, be very careful not to be entangled in the story level, but stay with the sensations in the body as it manifests so that you can actually experience that wave moving through the body. How does it change moment to moment? Do the sensations change, the tightness, the constriction, the heat, the coolness? Does the emotion itself change? Some people say they've been angry all day. That's impossible. There may be a moment of anger that triggers a moment of of frustration, that triggers sadness, that triggers tenderness, that triggers joy and appreciation. And then a thought arises. And then there's sadness and loss and grief and anger and rage and terror. Sometimes, and we might just say, oh yeah, I was angry all day because there was a lot of 
of a lot going on in the emotional life. But if we look closely, we'll see that emotions are changing moment by moment. Sometimes they're increasing, sometimes they're decreasing, sometimes they're changing into something else. Did anyone see that movie, um, Marvin's Room and Meryl Streep? Yeah, you saw it? I got it from Blockbuster a while back, and um, there was this scene in it where um, Meryl Streep has this great line where she says, she's speaking with her son, and she says, feelings are a lot like fish hooks. It's difficult to just pull a single one out of the jar. And I like that because it isn't that we're just angry. There's a complex emotional response. It's difficult to reduce it to just one thing. So we see when we investigate the emotion how they link together. And we watch them change. We watch them evolve. When we can open to the feeling as it is in the present moment, we can discover things about emotions that may may surprise us. Some people are surprised to find that grief doesn't necessarily bring tears. That sadness sometimes is infused with joy. Sometimes in the midst of anger, we find a field of courage. And underneath rage, there may be fear of vulnerability. Often what's on the surface isn't the whole picture. And I believe we can trust ourselves, we can trust the capacity of our hearts to stay steady with the feelings as they arise, as they change, and as they pass. We can trust ourselves to not react blindly on the feelings just because they've arisen. And we can trust that even when there's painful feelings, that we have the capacity to learn from them and to grow. We must know what has arisen in order to learn from it so we don't deny the emotions that we experience or how could we ever learn? We don't dismiss the anger. We don't judge the sorrow. We simply meet them with mindfulness. We're willing to be present with them to recognize what they are, accept that they've arisen, investigate how they change, what their nature is, what their qualities are, how they interact, and not take them to be who we are, not identify with them. We don't let the emotions become a passive determining force in our lives. If we don't recognize the emotions, sometimes it's like they fester in our psyches. And we may not be recognizing them, but everybody else recognizes. We may not know that we're angry, but other people experience that resentment or that frustration or that impatience. So we bring mindfulness to this layer of emotional life. But we also recognize that it takes energy. It takes energy to work with emotions. They very strongly pull us into reaction into the storyline. It takes courage to stay in the stillness of the sitting, to stay steady with the emotion as it arises, and let it flow through as uninhibited energy, just emotional energy, free from the narrative, free from blame. Although emotions arise due to conditions and we can't stop them from arising, nor should we or would we wish to, we actually have a great deal of influence over how we relate to the emotions that do arise. There was a um, very famous, um, often referred to encounter that the Buddha had with a Brahmin who was infuriated with him. And... um, This man was very angry, 
he had sent his sons to the Buddha to say something and they got converted. And then he sent the next son and he got converted. And then he sent the next son. And this went on through all of his sons until finally the father went and just yelled at the Buddha up and down, called him every name he could possibly think of, was just fuming mad. And the Buddha just stood there and listened to him. And then he asked the Brahmin, do you, he was a wealthy merchant, and he said, asked him, do you, um, do you ever invite friends to your home and serve them a meal? He says, yes, of course, of course. Um, and he said, if they don't accept the meal, to whom does the food belong? He said, well, then it still belongs to me. And he says, just so with this anger. The Buddha was able to be present and not take on the gift of this man's anger. To allow it to just move through without grasping on and saying, oh, this is mine, without getting angry and reacting. Sometimes I remember this, sometimes not soon enough. Sometimes I find I've picked up the gift. But then when I remember I've picked it up, I can set it down. So it's a nice story to remember because even if we've momentarily picked it up, we can still set that gift down when we recognize that it was just a gift. It's, a, it's an additional step to take it as ours, to possess it, to hold it. In addition to giving space for the emotions in the meditation, it's also very helpful to notice the space between the emotions. Not just how one emotion changes into another, but what about the spaces between? We can find a sense of release, of ease, of relaxation, of balance by resting in that space between strong emotions or preoccupations so that we don't have to drag the stuff of the past into the future. We can allow there to be space between feelings and find rest in that space. So we bring mindfulness to the emotions and we bring awareness to the space between emotions finding a sense of ease and freedom in our relationship to both. I'd like to do a guided meditation, but maybe it would be worth just standing for 10 seconds, stretching, shaking, and then sitting again. Shake your legs. Feels good. meditation, I'm going to ask you to actually bring up within your mind a strong emotion, a strong feeling. Um, I'd suggest whatever you think is sort of your chronic, um, like if, if you tend towards the anger, bring up anger. If you tend towards the weepy, bring up the sadness. If you tend towards the whatever, or if there's something going on this week, um, this is not some, a meditation I would ask you to do on a daily basis. Generally, we, um, bring, we bring mindfulness to emotions when they naturally arise. But for the purposes of an exercise, conjure one up. Oh, just choose. Oh, flip a coin, or you want me to pick. <laughs> Pick whatever seemed more recent, and, and you'll see them change. They might interweave. But choose a strong one and a difficult one. Like, don't go for the tranquility. 
take a moment first to feel your body. Feel the support of the chair or the cushion. Be aware of how you're contacting the ground as well as the support of the cushion and chair. Feel the alignment of the spine. And allow the breath to move easily. Feeling the movement of the body breathing. That gentle expansion and contraction. so that we allow the awareness to rest within the body. Now bring to mind a strong emotion, something that you find yourself faced with in your life. Feel it. You're inviting it in, so you might as well feel it. No need to resist it. Recognize what this emotion is. Do you feel it in the body? Do you feel any bodily response to the emotion? Feel the sensations of that response. If the emotion seems to slip away, conjure it up again, refresh it, and feel it again. How does it manifest? Is it changing or is it steady? Does it increase or decrease? Is it still the same emotion or has it shifted? (coughs) 
Bring the mindfulness to meet this emotion clearly, willingly. If you lose the sense of the emotion, just begin again. Conjure it again. And now notice what you did to bring the emotion up. Where did you find it? Where does it reside? In the body? If so, which part? In the room? If so, where? In the mind? If so, how? Where does the emotion arise from? Does it last of its own accord, its own energy? Or do you do something to sustain it? Notice if there's anything you have to do to sustain the emotion. Do you have to justify it? Do you have to pump it up with thoughts? Do you have to attach to it again and again? If you lose the emotion, recognize that and bring it up again so that we intentionally investigate, we intentionally meet the difficult states. Have patience with the process. Everything may not be revealed instantly. But meet this experience with courage and clarity. Interested to know this emotion. 
What is it composed of? What other emotions is it linked with or associated with? Is this emotion who you are? Are you that? How personally do you take emotions? Can this be a wave moving through, being known? Or do you believe the story? That it tries to say about you. As you experience the emotion, rather than focusing on the emotion as the object, notice if there are any spaces between, perhaps a moment of emotion, and then a space, and then another intense moment, and then a space. Just look into the experience and see how solid it really is. Is there any lightness there, any porousness, any spaces between? Allow the emotion to arise for a moment and pass on its own energy, doing nothing to sustain it any longer, allowing it to come and allowing it to go. We don't actually let go of emotions when we let them go. We cease to sustain them through the identification and ways we individually grasp our emotions. In the stillness of the meditation, you find for yourself how you relate to emotions, what your own response is to those emotions. so that there can be a space between the difficult feeling and the reaction. And in that space, there's choice and freedom. So allow the emotion to arise and change. Allow it to pass. Allow it to be self-liberated to be released in the open space of all things. And just sit in quietness and ease. Letting the attention be present for whatever arises. Feeling the breath move through the body. 
feel the body contacting the support of the chair or the cushion. to just take the next six or seven minutes to hear what your experience of this was. What was that? Greed. Greed, yes, that desire. That's a wonderful one to work with. How did you feel it in the body? Okay. Did you feel it in the mind? How did you recognize it? Mind, Mind. okay, yeah. Sometimes greed is a wonderful thing to notice because it's often in some way, mind or body, we feel a lurching out, a going toward, an almost moving off balance and off center. And sometimes we can feel the greed, and if we just look at the things that we want, we can feel greed for things we don't even want. So it doesn't make sense to, know, to, to work with the objects. We actually work with the energy that moves out, that grasps. And it's a wonderful um, um, state, emotional state to work with. Desire, greed, wanting, um, craving, all of those cluster around um, that. Ah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One object is then the second object. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're working with a pattern, well, well, I mean, for everybody, that craving is strong. It's the second noble truth. You know, that's what, (laughs) that's really what propels so much suffering. But when you find that and you start to bring the mindfulness right to the craving, the desire, the wanting, then it doesn't matter what the object is. We're not lost in the should I or shouldn't I with that object. We just work right with the craving itself, and that's where we, under, we where we um, where, where we uproot the underlying tendencies toward desire. So it's a wonderful place to wonderful place to work, and just just recognizing what it is is very very important. Very important. Somebody else, please. Which did you pick? Okay, mix is okay. Those fish hooks. Those fish hooks. Yeah. Well, it's not enough. It's not enough. That's only um, ra. We need the I and the N. Um, okay. Accept. Okay, great. Sometimes you may need to rest because of the um, of the energy that, that emotion takes. But the freedom comes when we find how it is we're relating to the emotion and unhook the identification. So we need to investigate 
until we understand how it is we get hooked by that emotion. It isn't just enough to say, okay, I know this is anger, and underneath the anger there's fear, and underneath the fear there's hurt, there's hurt because this happened. I mean, just, I'm just saying, I have no idea what issue you're working with, just as a link. Actually, we continue to look into the experience until we're free, until we're not caught by that reactive cycle, so that we recognize what it is, and we really look into it so that we, um, we see how it is there's some form of identification and grasping or there wouldn't be suffering. And so that's the... Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there is a, yeah, yeah. There, there, there is a use for distraction sometimes. I'm not like saying never, never watch a movie or never distract yourself. Sometimes it's worth avoiding certain things at certain times and strengthening ourselves. But perpetual distraction doesn't strengthen us. It doesn't liberate us. The, there, there's a strength that comes by actually saying, okay, I want to understand this. I want to know what it is. I want to know how I get hooked. Somebody says this to me, and all of a sudden, choo, and it's not going to be in the story. It's going to be in that moment how it triggers something. And it's not going to happen by understanding what non-identification is. It's going to happen in a moment when we see it clearly. And so we just keep looking, and we keep looking, and we keep looking, because the freedom comes when we see clearly and are able to transform our relationship to those things. It's good practice. Good practice. Well, I'd like to thank you all for coming. Next week will be um, awareness of thought, mindfulness of thought. So I hope I'll see you next Thursday. I'll also be here on um, Monday for the Monday night talk. I'll be giving a talk on that second foundation of mindfulness, on equanimity and um, feeling, but feeling more in terms of pleasantness and unpleasantness than emotional states, um, inclining towards the equanimity. So I hope if you're free, you'll join us. Um, Then I look forward to seeing you next week. Have a safe drive home.